What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Run Your Mouth Podcast, another one from my living room. And then hopefully uh, next week, the, can, we can uh, do the grand reopening of the shed. We're going to buy a ribbon. Uh, it'll be a whole ceremony. If you're living out in Stanford, Connecticut, hit me up. I'm more than happy to give out Mike Nice's home address. I'd like as many fans as possible showing up there, knocking on his family door, and letting them know that they are uh, fans of the fact that he lets me record out of their shed. So please, show up to Mike Nice's home. Just email me, robsnewsroom at gmail.com. You can be there for the grand reopening. There will be a ribbon-cutting ceremony. I don't know what else they do at uh, ribbon, you know, grand opening ceremonies. I'll have to do some research. I think they have got balloons. I'm good for balloons. Maybe we'll even get nitrous balloons. Maybe, uh... Maybe we can make that happen. It's a little too early in the episode for drug talk. I don't know why I went there. I was just trying to welcome you guys back to the podcast. I got a fun episode coming at you. I hope they're all fun, but this one's going to be particularly fun. Why? Um, well, first half, going to be uh, running solo, probably 20 minutes of ranting about absolutely nothing. And then I've got Chrissy Mayer on the show for the second half. She was uh, fun to talk to. And, you know, she's out there uh, doing, uh, showing up to protests and rallies. And so really fun conversation conversation in the second half. And if you don't want to hear me rant, you can uh, skip right to, I'm going to guess about the 20 minute marker where uh, she will be coming on and we have a whole chat and you can go check out her website because she's, uh, she's getting out there. She's doing tour dates. She does not give a shit about Corona. If anything, it uh, made me think about the fact I got to, I got to start sending some stuff up before we get into the news. I want to talk to you guys about deli meat because I don't think deli meat gets enough respect. You know, I think people talk about all the different meals that you could be eating, but people never really go, you know what, when was the last time, we should have like a national deli meat day. When was the last time our country did that? You know, we're respecting past presidents, we're respecting Martin Luther King, we're taking vacations, but do we ever have a day just to say thank you to the good people who are out there making deli meat? Here's what makes deli meat so great. I went, uh, I went skiing, I tend to get two or three days in a year. It's uh, really probably, you know, my favorite thing outside of doing stand-up. And I packed uh, just two packs of uh, turkey and two packs of pastrami. And that's all I needed for three full days of delicious sandwiches. I was getting off the mountain, just packing myself some, uh, some, some deliciousness. And it's so simple. It, you know, you don't have to cook yourself a whole meal. I mean, sure, you got to eat all the salts and preservatives. That's a given. But like versus having to cook yourself a whole steak, just eating some pastrami, you know, you're good to go. You got the whole, you got the whole beef operation, the protein, the fat, everything that's delicious, all salted up, ready to go, travel mode. Here's the sandwich I was making. And you know what? Honestly, not really a sandwich. And it took a couple days of experimentation before I came to this final gourmet item that I would like to share with you guys. Um, first is I went to Trader Joe's and I picked up uh, a whole bunch of snacks. That's also where I got this uh, deli meat from. And I'm a sucker for fake healthy food. So I bought uh, the, 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 my friend that I was skiing with. He's a big, you know, chips and dips guy. So I was on snack duty. So I was picking up the, uh, you know, the... The fucking taco chip things. I don't know what you call them. Like the what Tostitos are. Uh, tor- tortilla chips. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. But I like the fake healthy ones. Like the blue corn or the quinine cancer. I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's just chemicals probably fried somewhere and salted. But I like being lied to. You know, tell me that it's quinoa and blue corn. Let me think I'm eating something healthy. And then I can both eat it and not feel shitty about it. Which is like a win-win. So I was eating, and by the way, this is, uh, who out here loves some sauerkraut? I bought from Trader Joe's, they had this like sauerkraut with pickles. It was like a pickled sauerkraut, whatever. Dude, that shit goes 
delish with pastrami. So on the last day, here's what I did. Maybe I'll even post a picture of this. It was like the world, uh, uh, the fat man's taco, and I ate two of these, but I, I threw down just a like whole wheat wrap, once again, trying to pretend like I'm eating healthy. I'm sure it's just as bad as the white bread, but lie to me. It makes me feel good. You tell me you got non-fat ice cream that's got protein in it, I'll eat that shit all day. You know, just to feel like I'm doing something that's good for my body is all I need. Just lie to me. So anyways, I throw down uh, I throw down some hummus, throw down a little spinach lettuce, throw down this, uh, you know, some, some hot sauce. I throw down a little of that... Uh, Oh no, I mixed a step. I'm sorry. We, we got to take this back from the beginning because this was the most important part of the whole thing. I've never eaten Taco Bell, but I think at one point they were advertising like the chalupa, which was like the soft taco and then the hard taco on the inside. So you got the crunch. So here's what I did. I threw down my, uh, I threw down my whole wheat, you know, my wrap, threw down my, uh, my hummus, and then I crushed up those blue corn, you know, quinoa, fake healthy chips. I had a layer of chip in there, but it was already crushed up. And then on the inside of that, I reinforced it with lettuce. And then I put down, you know, a mix of pastrami and turkey. I like a mix of pastrami and turkey. I feel you go all pastrami. It's a little too, like the two, they balance themselves out. The turkey being fat free, the pastrami being loaded with the fat. It's just, it's a good combo. I feel like you go all just one, there's something missing. But you get that perfect balance, it's like the Obama sandwich, you know? You, you, we, we can all recognize. You start mixing these races together, you end up with better combinations. It's no different when you're with your deli meats. You want to balance there. So anyways, I fold this thing open over. I, I stuff it too much. You can't roll this thing up. There's no way to turn this thing into a wrap. So I'm just eating it like an open like an open-faced, I mean, all tacos are open-faced, but it's like, uh, so you get the mixture of the crunch with the hummus and the deli meats, and you do that after a day of skiing when you're starving while sipping back on a Budweiser beer, it don't get no better than that. You know, go go, go spend a day, you know, do whatever exercise you got to do, be out in the cold, work yourself up that appetite, eat that sandwich, and it'll be like we're together, or just uh, you, you come next week to the grand reopening of the shed and you bring that, you bring those raw ingredients for you. I'll roll it up for you. That's, that's the, uh, that's, uh, that's quite the offer. Show up to the shed, be there for the ribbon cutting ceremony. And I will personally prepare, um, the deli meat, fake, healthy wrap, but you got to do some exercise beforehand so that you earn it. Maybe I'll make you run laps in the park that we pee in. Uh, so I went up to Maine. This was my first time skiing up in Maine. I was up at uh, Sunday River. And I got to say, Maine seems pretty cool. Like, uh, yeah, I guess when you start heading up that north, it really feels like the country's just giving up. And there's just like, you know, just just go do you. I didn't see a cop the whole time I was up in Maine. Also, like when I hit the, the, the main highway, because the highways before that, firstly, Waze is so fun. If you're not using Waze when you're on the road, you're crazy. I mean, it, it Waze has probably saved me from at least 15 tickets. That thing flags nearly every cop. And most of the time I wouldn't have seen them. And I was, I was flooring it. Cause I was doing, it was like a five hour drive. I was doing mostly like, I usually, my strategy for speeding is I like to keep it around 80. Cause if you're at 80 and you spot a cop, you can usually hit your brakes and get down to 70, 65 pretty quickly. You're not even getting a ticket on a 65 road. Sometimes I'll push it if you're like on a road that's 65 up to 90. It's the same basic strategy that as long as you can spot the cop with a little distance, then you can get down to like, you know, I guess around 80 on a 65, also not that much of a ticket. 
Um, you know, you got to think about these things. It's, it's not so much the ticket as much as the nuisance of them raising your fucking insurance rates. Also, at what point in time, I guess, do we realize that car technology is better that they can just raise the speeding limits. I think I've heard in the past that the speeding limits are mostly a function of trying to control gas usage. I don't know where I'm coming up with that, but then maybe with the electric cars, they'll be able to get rid of that policy as well. Cause I'm gonna assume that most roads, they've established speed limits in this country 20 or 30 years ago when you know cars were all just big old hunks of shit. But nowadays, you just got to figure with all these safety features, we could probably be going way more fast. And, and uh, yeah, I, I, have no, I have no back half on that. I thought I was going to tag it. There, there's no tag there. Raise the speed limits. Let us speed some more. Quit, quit getting revenue. And also, while we're talking about traffic laws, can we let the drunk driving, the, you know, let's, let's loosen that up as well. Local, I think two to four in the morning should just be acceptable hours. And I'm not talking about like, you know, total blackout, whatever, unless you got a good track record. I bet there's people out there that can do a lot in a blackout. Maybe they're even better drivers than you and I are on uh, a normal day. I got to stop pacing around while I'm doing this. I'm, I'm legit getting out of breath. Okay, what the fuck was I trying to talk about? Oh, yeah, something about being in Maine. Maine seems like a pretty cool state. I know the New Hampshire people, you know, you guys listen to this. I think you guys might have a pretty cool state as well. I haven't spent that much time there. I can't give you a full evaluation, but I can tell you that when I hit Maine, I felt like I had the highway to myself. There was nothing going on up there. Didn't see no cops and uh, Sunday river, excellent mountain. I got to come through in defense of East coast mountains last year. Skied the West Coast for the first time. Thank you to Kyle for uh, for the gig, also for having me. And that was the three best days of skiing that I'd ever done. I usually don't ski in the woods because I'm nervous that I'll hit a tree and I'm usually skiing alone. And that's no way to go. Waking up after a concussion, half frozen, and then, you know, just dying in the woods. That's no way to go. That's not what, that's not the, that's not the way I envision closing this thing out. But anyways, last year, it was a great thrill. Uh, Jake and... Oh man, I'm forgetting the other guy's name. Two fans came out. They skied with me both days. We had a great time. I was skiing in the woods, nothing but powder. And it was, it was fantastic this past year. And I got lucky because I think the thing with the East coast mountains, you got to catch them after a good storm. You know, if you, if you just book your vacation and you're going up there, it's a little bit of rolling the dice on the East coast, especially in the earlier in the season. Cause sometimes you can go up there. Mountains are a little bit icy or a lot of shit is closed. Um, more recently, what I've done past, you know, two or three years is I actually kept my eyes out for a good storm. And then I used to try and drive up there before the storm, do two days, like right after the snowfall, then you know that you're good. When it comes to East coast mountains, I've definitely had those trips where you book in advance and, uh, you know, you have fun, you're on vacation, you, uh, maybe smoke more weed and do the easier trails, but it's definitely more fun when there's snow on the ground. I mean, you're going to go skiing. You want snow on the ground. That's obvious. So I went to Sunday River, first time going up there, and uh, there was great snowfall, amazing mountain. There's like five peaks, and I don't think I've ever done more skiing on a ski trip, which I got to give props to myself on my ass workout. Let me tell you, I even talk about that at the end of this episode with Chris Mayer. My ass workout is, uh, you know what, I might have to do a fitness video series. I had inside knee pain. For years, for years I had inside knee pain. And then also in, in like previous years when I went skiing, I like to, once I'm already like out there, I kind of like to do this, the, the hard stuff. 
But I found, you know, like I would do like three or four turns on a hard trail. I would need to take a break, get my, catch my breath, keep going. You don't want to be fat, out of breath, and on a double diamond. You know, you at least want to have your wits about you. You don't want your legs cramping up. You, you got to, if you're, if you're skiing the tough stuff or whatever, I, I don't know. You ski however the hell you want to ski. I can just tell you that that's always been my strategy. But uh, so I realized, you know, I get in this inside knee pain. And every once in a while, I'd be in the gym, and I find I'm always getting injured because I lift like an idiot. It's like squats. How much weight can I put on this thing? And then, like, sprints. I'm, like, huffing and puffing, running these sprints. And then I would see these women in the gym who are being very gentle and elegant. They're just, like, lying on their side, and they're lifting up their leg, and then they're closing their leg, and then they're doing their glute. And they got the nicest bodies in the whole world. And I feel like these people aren't injured. They're, like, they're just doing these elegant leg lifts. And I just decided, you know what? I did a little research and I'm like, I think this inside knee pain, it's because I'm not working out my ass muscles enough. I've been ignoring these ass muscles. I've been, I've been doing these, the, you know, the sprints and the squats and I got to start working on these glutes. And so every uh, Saturday I've, uh, I've made it my routine. I do a beach workout. It's very boring. I, I do the lady lifts. I'm standing there. I'm doing your, uh, your lunges, your, your single leg lifts in every direction. It, it's not fun. It's not a, you look like an idiot. I'm doing hip extenders all all the lady ass workouts. It's a full 45 minutes overlooking the beach, just making sure that my buns look nice. And I'm telling you that workout paid dividends because I didn't have any knee pain and I was, I was skiing, dude. I wasn't having to take breaks on these trails. I went from like nine to three. I, I'm going to put out the workout series. If you've got inside knee pain, you got to start working on your glute muscles. It's going to be the Rob's buns of America. Maybe, maybe I'll get one of those Ollie G thongs, start showing it off. No, I'll do it in my sheath underwear. That's what I'll do. Uh, which by the way, you can make your ass and dick and balls look great too by going to sheathunderwear.com. You use promo code RYM and guess what? You get 20% off. And while I was skiing, I actually, I wore my sheath all three days because, uh, when you ski, you want to make sure you're wearing stuff that wicks the moisture. The last thing you want to do is get all sweaty and then you sit on the lift and it's cold and you freeze your nuts to the seat. That's not what you want to do. You want something that's moisture wicking. So that if you get out there, you're working hard and you sweat, the material absorbs the sweat, and then you don't freeze your nuts off. Um, and very, uh, they're comfortable underwear. They're made for athletic purposes. And if you go to uh, sheathunderwear.com, use promo code RYM, you'll get 20% off. And maybe if in the future I uh, film this series of uh, Rob Bernstein's Buns of America, I'll do it in sheath underwear with uh, all shots from all angles so that everyone can see the, uh, you know, the full elegance of my curvy rear end. Because most of the other things, I got great calf muscles. Like, if you put me back in colonial times when calf muscles were sexy, dude, I'd be pulling so much puss. I'd be wearing those stockings. Everyone would be jealous. They'd be like, how the fuck does he have calf muscles like that? Be like, you gotta subscribe. You know, then... I could have been like the Instagram influencer model of the colonial era, you know, showing people how to, how to get the, the big calf muscles, which is probably just genetic. It's probably if you got, you got big tits and, you know, your body has to uh, even itself out. It's like a human sea sauce. You end up with, uh, with big calf muscles. All right. What was I, I was trying to talk about East Coast Mountains. So I had the best time, and it could just be, you know, sometimes like you get new pussy and you think it's the best pussy, so you forget about last year's pussy. But I gotta say, I kind of like the style of uh, East Coast East Coast skiing, um, and it could be I didn't ski enough of the trails while I was out west. But 
I think on the East Coast, you get like these really fast groomed black, you know, like your, your black diamonds that like, it, it's almost, I mean, the thing that people don't like about it is they feel like it's kind of like ice skating. You need your thinner skis that can really carve into it. Uh, but the other thing on this mountain, I was doing like a lot of these uh, just kind of like fast, steep mogul trails. Anyways, I love skiing. I hope I can get back out, back out West, do a steamboat again, hang out with Kyle. Uh, but I do feel like uh, I always thought I was nervous because I've heard, you know, you fly first class and then you never go business class again. You can't go back to coach. I thought that was going to happen to me with skiing. I always ski the East Coast because it's way cheaper. Lift tickets, 60 bucks. You don't have to do the flight. You can just drive up there. It's a much, uh, much cheaper expedition. I heard once you go out West, that's the end of it. You'll never be able to ski the East Coast again. And I will say I had the best time last year, but then I went back out to the East Coast this year and... um I, maybe it's that I'm used to the East Coast skiing. Maybe the East Coast skiing is, in fact, worse. Or maybe I just got lucky because it was good weeks. But like I said, I wanted to come through with the defense of East Coast skiing. I think that there is a style to it. And it's um, definitely highly enjoyable. All right. I, I feel like I talked enough deli sandwiches, enough random fitness tips. Um, oh, one more thought I had from uh, being out on the road. So... We had a, what was it, probably like a six-hour drive from uh, from my apartment to Maine. And, you know, you, you say, hey, we're going to be out in the country. I don't know if you consider Maine the country, but, like, we're going to be in a different area. We're exploring. We're seeing a different way that people live their lives. And if there's something interesting to do, we're not in a rush coming or going. If you see an interesting rest stop, let's stop. And what I found was every time that there was something that was interesting, you didn't realize it till after you had already passed it. Like there was like the giant gun store, giant liquor store, but it's always like these places, basically what I'm just saying, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but like there's no signage. So you don't realize that it was cool or worth stopping it until after you've already or past the point where like you'd have to slam on the brakes to turn in. And then it's just like, eh, you know what? I don't feel like turning around. Like, yeah, that's exactly the thing that I'd like to see. And, you know, we've got plenty of time that we're going to be sitting in this car, but, you know, eh, fuck it, we'll stop at the next one. New Hampshire, can one of you New Hampshire people tell me what the deal is with the giant liquor outlets by the highway? Are there no liquor stores in New Hampshire? Do you guys have, like, weird liquor laws, or is the pricing actually particularly good because you've got better tax laws? Are those just giant liquor stores that are by the highway because that's good business for them to say, hey, we're a giant liquor store? Because I've now had three times where I passed these two giant New Hampshire liquor stores that are right by the highway. It almost seems like uh, if you've ever been like an Indian casino, and sometimes they got their cigarette places on the way out so you can get your super cheap cigarettes. It seems like New Hampshire's trying to tell me, hey, here's the place for cheap alcohol and that they've got these giant liquor stores, but I can't tell. And while we're talking about, you know, cheap narcotics, I don't know if that's the right word, uh, but YoKratom.com, they're another sponsor of this podcast and you can go there and get entire kilos. I mean, how fun is it just to buy a kilo of something? Have you ever bought a kilo of anything? I haven't, except for when I've gone to YoKratom.com, bought myself a kilo of Kratom for $60 and that's high quality Kratom. I don't know if you're into Kratom, but if you are, there's no reason to be spending more than that when you could be getting full kilos for just 60 bucks and you don't need to be driving around to gas stations. These people, they're good people. They ship it right to your door. They go, hey, listen, if you're over the age of 21 and you're already into this product, they go, we're not, we're not asking any questions. We just want to get you as much 
of this product that you like. High quality, 60 bucks, yokratum.com. All right, two news stories, and then I've got Chrissy Mayer. Um, the Mandalorian lady who, uh, who got fired, that to me is the creepiest incident thus far of just pure, pure censorship. She did absolutely nothing, nothing that could possibly be even worth a conversation, and yet she loses her good, and by the way, this lady's not getting, like, she's not that good of an actor. There's really nothing. She's got that cheesy smile in every scene. She's also, by the way, you would think that she's the kind of person that women would rally behind, because they always like the idea of, um, you know, I, I guess you got your typical fitness model build, or your typical, like, really thin, you know, movie people, and then every once in a while you get someone who is considered beautiful, who's not that traditional thin thing, and then it seems like women get really excited about it. Like, look, all different shit. Like, that she's not a thin lady, and she's good looking. She's definitely got like a huskier build. She's got like, I feel like if I put on forty pounds, I would look like her because I get tit heavy. That's what happens. I get, I get, I put on weight in the tits first, but between my buns workout, if I was doing my buns workout and I put about twenty pounds on, so my tits were like big and juicy, but I still had like big thick thighs and a nice butt. I feel like my body, she'd probably still kick my ass, but that might be a fun fight. I wonder, you know what? Maybe I'll uh, look up her dimensions and on the next shed cast, we could uh, talk about what a fight be. I mean, she could kick my ass. She's actually trained and I have no idea how to fight whatsoever, but that was pretty creepy that she lost her job over that. I mean, that's a pretty apparent, um, just like, listen, you're either 100% going to be on board with, I, I guessed, how do you even describe it at this point? What do you even like with this narrative of, I mean, she didn't do anything like I, I kind of can't that this was offensive to do. It's very clear that she just has a conservative perspective and even saying, hey, I think we should be more open to everyone's point of view uh, is such a flagrant thing that you'd have to lose your job. It's even sometimes like trying to figure out what their logic is gets confusing, but the point is there is no logic. It's just a function of, uh, of censorship. Um, and then there's one moment from this, uh, Trump impeachment that I would like to call to focus. Cause I enjoyed it very much. Lawyers, they're a little bit like, uh, you know, I guess like comedians where you cannot be very good looking or you cannot be even that, smart per se, but the same way you can just be funny. You can just be a person who can really, it's almost like being like sales. You can just really sell it, have a good verbal IQ. Uh, if you can just bullshit with a straight face, you can be pretty good at being a lawyer. So Trump's lawyer gets up there, you know, he's got, he, he's holding on to the little hair that he has, but like me from two years ago, it's patchy. He should be shaving that thing off. But he, and by the way, you remember how good Trump is at television because they just put together a damning presentation of basically Democrats saying the words like we have to go fight. Um, and then also he had that into all the footage of violence from People on the left, such as Antifa, over this past summer, you guys all remember those protests. You remember the violence that took place. And then he's got Democrats not condemning that violence. So first he has the Democrats saying, hey, we have to go fight. Then he shows the violence that took place. And that even people like Chuck Schumer saying, I, I, I respect the people who are out there protesting. Now, that might have been a little disingenuous. I don't think Chuck Schumer was ever... Um, 
actually giving support to people who are out there protesting in a violent way or protesting in a way that's actually um, causing any destruction to buildings. Uh, but you remember how good of a how good Trump is at television because it's a pretty damning piece that they put together to say, hey, using the word fight is not something that you can possibly say is actually a call to violence. Anyways. He makes this presentation, 20-minute speech, and then, like LeBron James winning a championship shot, he just makes this little, like, kiss. He makes a little kiss to the air, like like it was the, like a comedian dropping the mic where he goes, there you go. I just, I just lawyered as good as a lawyer could lawyer. And uh, I, 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 firstly, I thought it was kind of a, um, like a, a, a cheesy moment. I don't know that it was 100% earned. But I just appreciated some guy feeling like he was at the top of the game and he just went in there and he smashed it. And I, by the way, I also like that he gave back his time to the room. He was like, I only need 20 minutes to tell you guys that you're a bunch of dumb idiots and then we can all move on with our lives. He didn't draw it out for two days. He kept it nice and focused. They put together a single video presentation. It got to the point and I enjoyed it very much. All right. Um, so just to recap before we get into my conversation uh, with Chrissy Mayer. Uh, if you would like to come to the ribbon cutting ceremony, I am, uh, inviting people to Mike Nice's house, uh, his private residence for the reopening of the shed. Is there still coronavirus out there? I don't know. I'm not a scientist. Is it even a real thing? Should we all have had it if his dad had had it? Did my nine year old grandfather somehow survive this thing? Uh, I don't even know if he's 90, but th the point is if you want to show up with a uh, pastrami in hand and uh, the sauerkraut to go with it, I will roll. I will roll up for you, but it won't actually be rolled up. It'll just be so overstuffed. You'll have to kind of. But I don't know. It somehow had a quality to it where it didn't fall apart. That's very important. That the food that you put together has structural integrity. Like I like a soft cookie, but it can't be so soft that it can't support its own weight. If you pick it up and it crumbles, that's not what I'm looking for. You need food with structural integrity. That's true of sandwiches as well. If you put it together a sandwich that's so overstuffed that like it can't be eaten, is that even a sandwich anymore? That's like, you know, if uh, something happens in the woods, the tree falling question, it's a similar question. I can't get into these topics. I'm already at the end of my opening rant. Maybe that's a uh, metaphysical, I don't know what the, the philosophical question that we'll have to address on another episode, but I will just call out that food should have structural integrity. And the way that I put together this sandwich, it did have structural integrity. I don't know that I got a good picture that quite captures the essence of the deliciousness of what I've eaten, <laughs> but perhaps I will put that picture up. I got to look at my phone. I, I think I tried taking a picture, but I didn't get a good one. It's like when you're trying to get a picture of your wiener and you know what your wiener should look like, but you're not just, you're not quite capturing it in all the glow and quite at the angle where it really, you should have one good one on your phone, like three phones back. I had a great dick. Like I was like hoping some lady would ask for it. Cause I was like, I got this thing ready to go. Like, but now I don't have a good, I don't have a good wiener shot anymore. You need one. That's really all you need. And, and you got to make sure that they, that they ask for it first, which is rare. It's very rare that a woman asks for a wiener shot, but if she does, you want to have that one good picture ready. You don't want to be out there trying to go on the internet, hire a fluffer. All right. This, this is getting into ridiculous again. I think I was trying to make one last announcement, but that's it. Uh, and now let's, uh, get into it with Chrissy Mayer, host of the wet spot podcast. And it seems like you always got porn stars and fun stuff going on over there. 
Oh, yeah. Always porn stars. Always fun stuff. Uh, so that show is Mondays at 7.30 p.m. on Compound Media. I also have the Chrissy Mayer podcast, which uh, can be found everywhere. Fine podcasts are sold. iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, SoundCloud. Uh, new episodes coming out every Tuesday through Wednesday. All right. And before we get into your personal podcast, let's talk about these porn stars. How did you... <laughs> How did you end up in that kind of space and that connection and, you know, finding interest with uh, or connecting with all those people? It seems like you got a pretty healthy parade of porn stars coming through that show. Healthy parade? I actually just learned what an ass parade was like very recently. I I don't even know what that is. I I had no idea. (laughs) I think it's just it's basically like a parade of asses. I think it happens in Miami. I don't know. I still it's a real thing. Apparently (laughs) so. My friend Victoria June was just in one recently. So it's a whole world out there. But how I kind of got I don't know my fascination with porn stars. I've always been like I've always felt a bit like of a kinship between comedians and porn stars because like society tends to sort of like maybe ostracize us. We are like not normal. We're sort of like this untouchable group of weirdos. Um, I mean, plus they're fun. Plus when I was starting wet spot, um, I was always very inspired by like early Howard Stern and uh, the, the fun segments they would do in studio. They're fun. Like sometimes like I wanted to do just like fun remote segments and just, uh, just kind of like utilize the full space in there uh, by having people come in and like probably the best moments are always when like somebody like takes their shirt off and lets you squeeze their boob or like, Oh, I got implants. Let's feel them. And like, <laughs> everybody loves that. Um, and a lot of times, like when I have a porn star on, I like to be like supportive and like, and then the guys in the booth who are like supportive, but also like, we're all pervs to be honest, but like, we'll throw up some of their clips like while they're, so we'll just be there like, Oh, look at, look at you. You're great. You know, I feel like a supportive, like aunt or sister, I guess. And then, uh, you know, there was a time we had like a dominatrix in, she brought in like one of her slaves. We wrapped him up in saran wrap and we all took turns like stepping on his balls. And I was like, I can't do that. Those are now, balls. What is the uh, texture of staying on it? Like sometimes, you know, like if I had a uh, poppy paper, there's something mm. fun about hearing that pop, putting my foot <laughs> on someone's balls doesn't sound like, you know what I mean? Like some textures are kind of nice and I'm not even into balls as it is. Uh, but I don't feel like having my like Play-Doh can be somewhat fun, but I don't really feel like putting my foot on someone's balls would feel good in any capacity. Yeah, it definitely did not. Like, I think I poked it a little bit with my finger. It definitely did not feel like packing paper, like packing bubbles. It didn't feel like that. It felt like just kind of had like a melted, uh, you know, like a soft cookie. Like I guess. Brussels sprouts. They've been cooked too yeah, long. Yeah. Yeah. They've been cooked on you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, mine smell like Brussels sprouts. That's why I came to that example. Uh, oh, you're very flexible. Wow. <laughs> so this guy whose party trick is having people stomp on his nuts. Uh, is he enjoying <laughs> that? Or he's just now he, he's gotten so used to having his nuts stomped. It doesn't hurt him. I, that that you're, you're entering a weird space when you're like, hey, everyone, I'm going to lie on my back and please step on my balls. I think it's a combination of both. I think he both likes feeling submissive, but he at the same time likes kind of just doing whatever like Dahlia was her name, doing whatever Dahlia tells him to do. It's like an act of service, I guess, you know, and like people like feeling 
Although I've also heard that like subs really run the show that like, it's the person in the submission, like the submissive spot to be the one that kind of like controls. And when they say director. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, but he was specifically in kind of a slave type role. So I think that's different than like your standard, like sub Dom role play scenario. So I don't know. It's a whole interesting world out there. And I, and I think even before that, my kind of um, love of porn stars came, I went to AVN, last year last january actually uh in vegas and that's when i first started my podcast i went out there i was like i guess i'm just gonna figure it out and i started doing interviews i interviewed uh karma rx emma hicks seth gamble who else um alex i, f- I forget his name alex jet He's like known for being, I mean, he's obviously like in his twenties, but he looks very young. So he'll always play like, um, like when there's a MILF scene, he'll always play like the young, uh, guy, even though he's, you know, in his twenties, he just looks super young and he's like hairless, you know, he's like a seal. I mean, that's why I like my men. So I'm all for it. Does he, does he speak English or is he that, um, I have a kid who I'm thinking in my head, but I don't know if that's the person. Yeah. He's kind of big, thick piece, but they all, I mean, if he's like, he's very pale. He's got, he's like a light blonde. Real thin. Is he like super thin? Like almost like his chest, like is coming. Concave. Yeah. 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 Yeah, He's like the, he's like a, I don't know. Cause the, the thing is with porn, there's not that many males male talent like to find like reliable male talent and i've gained such a respect for male porn stars because it's like not only do you have to like get hard stay hard but many oftentimes you have to like come on command like like 30 people's day is around (laughs) your coming you know what i mean and if and if if, like everyone's got to sit there while you fucking jerk off to get hard again or if you're not into it mentally it's like you got a guy you got to jerk off with the guy with the boom mic right here you know the camera guy all i'm sure the crew is all dudes and uh like if your head's not in it or if you're having a day or like I mean, the pressure, I can't imagine it. And then there's guys who are like, you know, maybe they should go out to pasture, but they're like, fuck no. And they're fucking, you know, they're putting liquid Viagra in their dick. They're just, there's people go to links, no pun intended, to uh, stay in the biz. So it's different. I'm all surprised uh, you don't see more like chafed up penises in porn. All of their uh, penises seem to be uh, looking pretty clean and youthful for how much punishment it's taken. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe they put on like a face mask at night. Like maybe they do like a soothing clay mask or something, or maybe they moisturize. What, it's also got to be great. Like when you're fucking so much at work, it's your day off, and like your girl, you know, like I no, I need, I need, I need off. Like yeah, need no, a- get off me, please. It has to rest. Yeah, and Have there are actually- some, there are porn, there are like couples that are like both porn stars, like you know, porn couples. So I imagine they're probably even more so, like need that day off to rest. That's one of the, uh, I, I guess, one of the funnest parts about comedy and podcasting is just that you're able to, uh, firstly, you get to explore whatever topics you want to. And so if you find these interests, like you can actually have these conversations, but <laughs> it's so outside of what people are able to do in their daily life, which uh, in my opinion, makes it so fun. Yeah, I don't think I would want to be an adult film star. Like, I just think it, it's very stressful. And it's like, you have to have a, uh, I think, an even thicker skin than to be a comic. And I think also- the, the, the part of it that I think uh, 
must firstly, you really can't have normal relationships after that because I think mm. most like I think there's a lot of people that come around and they think it's so cool to date a porn star, but once they're in the relationship and I'm talking out of my ass, I think they start realizing like, oh, I don't really want to be dating a porn. Like it's fun for three weeks. And I think they have the problem where people expect them to be what they see on film, which is similar to comedy. Like I'm not, I'm not this fun off air. I like, I'm just, I'm not like, I'm not the way I am on stage off air. Like I am that way sometimes, but I'm turning it on. Uh, and I think they have an even worse version of that where people really think they're that version of themselves. And like people really can't differentiate because you don't think like it's a porn persona, you know? Right. And I think the couple, the people that it works out with also have to be a bit on the side of like, um, like maybe voyeuristic or maybe they are more down with three ways or like, or swapping or whatever. Cause it's like, in order to date a porn star, it's like, you have to be okay with other people like fucking your girlfriend, you know? So it's like, if you don't already have that natural inclination, like I, I feel like it would be impossible. Yeah, it's a weird headspace. Uh, so it seems to me like you've gotten a little bit more politically a- um, active over the last couple of years. Um, I'm, I'm definitely familiar with your stand-up. I used to see you at, at shows fairly often. I don't remember there being any... Uh, I mean, all your stuff was hilarious, but I don't remember any like political jokes. Um, but what would you say has happened over the last year or two that you've kind of got drawn into the political game? And what would you say kind of are your politics? It was like slow and gradual um because i like you said i was never i never had like really political jokes like when trump was elected and i didn't even vote for trump the first time i just was like yeah like i don't know just like i feel like lots of other people who like don't really care about politics whatever you vote but you're not like you don't get fired up about anything and then i remember you know i had like a, a several long minute bit about melania but that would be it for political jokes i was like i don't want to be offensive and you know split people up and then i think it was like 2018 i met larry sharp who is the liberty was the libertarian candidate for governor uh for new york in 2018 so like two years ago and i think through talking to him and like just sort of taking a few tests and I and I like I think I, I was like oh shit I think I'm libertarian like wow this is like I never it, it's a little bit of a mind fuck to like because you know we all kind of identify with our groups and to have that kind of be broken and oh now I'm in this new group that I kind of don't know anything about I guess and but the more I would talk to people, the more I'd be like, yeah, I'm like socially super liberal. Love the gays. Don't care if anyone's gay. Fuck whoever you want. Like, I, you know, I mean, like, if you want to be trans, be trans. Like, but I was like, oh, and I just feel like on other issues, maybe I'm like, I don't know. People, It's hard. It's hard to like define yourself because there's some people who think I'm like Republican or conservative. I don't think I'm conservative because it's like, I, it's, I just feel like if anything, I'm probably more libertarian and like i think the older i get the more i realize is like yeah we do kind of need less government because they're they're there just to like serve themselves and they want to keep going and i think it was really in the last year starting to look at like uh like i don't know it was like a growing up almost like following the money you know especially seeing like with the lockdowns who's benefiting and just kind of like the bubble being popped i'm like okay yeah it's longer than two weeks i think a lot of people started to like uh, you know kind of wake up on a lot of things but for me it was mostly like i guess sort of like having the time off and like all of the internet right so i i got more into look looking into conspiracy theories i um 
went to LA last March, like just before the lockdown started, just before like uh, all the stuff sort of came about. And I did a uh, Sam Tripoli's Tinfoil Hab podcast. And that, I, you know, I, that really kind of ignited my interest in conspiracy theories. Cause I was like, Ooh, I always like, I've always liked sort of, playing detective i always like kind of unearthing secrets and truths and like why things work and um i think just like there was a a few week span where i watched like out of shadows and fall the cabal and pedo gate and i just was like oh my god <laughs> you know so it was like slowly and then all at once but i think and and then also during that time as a comedian seeing like the assault on free speech was like that was a big one because I was like, oh, fuck, this can't be happening. Like, this isn't good for anybody in comedy. This isn't good for any artist, period. Um, so to see that be in danger, especially in the last, like, couple years. And especially, like, I mean, now we've had this huge purge on Twitter. I've lost, like, so many followers and fans. And, and now it's like anybody who was even in DC on the sixth is considered a domestic terrorist. It's like, it's fucking wild. So it's kind of like all that stuff put together. Now on the, the free speech uh, comedy note, I, uh, I would think that to my logic, if I just had to guess, if I never did comedy in my life, I would think all comedians shared yours and I sense my, our sensibility on this one. You would just think it would be unanimous. Everyone agrees. Comedians comedian should be able to see whatever the fuck they want. And you and I are almost on the fringe in this one where there almost seems to be more and more comics that are not just like, firstly, their agenda comedy and it's agenda comedy towards leftist point of views. And they're very into this PC and the safe space. And they like, we're our sensibilities are actually offensive to them and not just offensive, but they'll go the crybaby route. They will do what they to try and get you, you know, either deplatformed or not working. And I even confronted that much of this because no one knows who the fuck I am. So I'm lucky I float under the radar. No one's complaining about me, but I do think that that flavor is terrible and real. Uh, and it, it's, it, it's shocking that yours and I's perspective is not just the norm. It is. It's crazy. Cause it's like, Every comedian, if you put them on a lie detector test, like even every regular person, like, have you ever laughed at a stereotype? It, like 100%. Maybe there'd be one weirdo who's like, no, never. <laughs> but most people laugh at stereotypes, which guess what? Aren't PC. So like, that's kind of the only proof you need there. And it's also their jokes. It's like, and that's the thing is like, people think like, oh, like a lot of people like on the left, like to equate free speech with like hate speech it's like well guess what like if you or i get up on stage and we say something that truly is hateful people are not going to dig it people are going to not buy tickets to our shows people are not going to listen to our podcast it's kind of like the market will kind of phase us out so it's like it's not really up to you who and first of all who are you to censor anybody else like if you and your five friends don't like me but i have 25 people who love me like how what makes your opinion so much more important how how come you get to be the one to decide like who gets to hear my shit right like who made you so fucking important like that's what bothers me it's ultimately like such a selfish act it's like you're really not the get of anybody but yourself there you're like i'm offended i'm triggered you need to not exist right and that's the ultimate uh liberty i almost feel like it's a uh it's a different kind of bullying where okay so i've got a weird comedic sensibility and somebody who probably doesn't appreciate other people's humor is gonna laugh at my darker shit so not laughing at the stuff that you think is funny 
why can't we just be I've no cool. Why can't we quarreled with me making the dumb joke that these people think is funny? Why do you police our comedic sensibilities? Everything else is free choice, you know, your sensibility. But when it comes to, hey, I like this guy's dark joke or offensive humor. Well, you're not allowed to have it. Um, which is, which is a very libertarian perspective that you and I have. It's like, I'm offering a good in service. They want to buy it. Why the fuck does anybody get to police that? Um, but it does seem to be the way the market is now, which, uh, obviously you and I would take issue with. And of course it's like, uh, it's so easy, I guess. Yeah. Let's go ahead and blame social media because it used to be like, uh, I guess in the nineties or whatever, the original heyday of comedy, you'd have to go it was really more like you had to seek out comedy you had to go to a comedy club. You had to like buy it. I don't know. Did comics have CDs? <laughs> you had to like go and get the comedy. And now it's like, it's in your pocket. If you're just on Twitter and if, and somebody, you know, shares a thing or it's just trending up, it's like, it's more in your face where you wouldn't have sought it out. It's like, yeah, you have maybe all these comics that aren't your style are like right in your pocket. And, um, it's just like it's it's a head rush. You feel powerful to be a victim. It feels good to cancel somebody. I always mention the John Ronson book. So you've been publicly shamed. It's like Great anytime book. there's there's a public shaming. And my friend Corinne Fisher, like I think, I mean, I've been now publicly canceled, shamed like half a dozen, many half, seven, six, seven times. Each time you're like, oh, it feels better because you're like, oh, I know this will pass. And I also know never to apologize because it's never going to be enough. But like, what was the takeaway from that? Is that anytime someone's being like publicly shamed, like let's say I, you had a bad tweet and someone thinks it's racist. So now you're up here, right? Everyone's talking about how, how much Robbie sucks. Well, guess what? Our friends, our comedian friends that are down here are like, oh, nobody's talking about me. Like that sucks. And I want to, I want to impress the people that are maybe here, you know? So I'm going to go up here with the people that are all shitting on Robbie. So everyone can see me. It's like ultimately the act of public shaming is again, like it's selfish and it's like, you're trying to bring yourself up to be seen, you know? And it's, it doesn't even, it's not even a thing to take personally. It's just like, they want to, they want it like, Hey, I want everyone to know that I'm not, we're all bonding together. Cause we're not okay with this. And remember that when you're booking shows, it's like, I don't know. It's kind of the most superficial thing, but the now, point is, is that it doesn't have anything to do with you. It's, it has more to do with them. Now I'm a, I mean, I'm, I'm a whiny Jew and I do complain, but at the same note, I try and go, I'm not a complainer and I don't like to, uh, I don't like to go too much down. Hey, I'm a victim type thing. That's just not my sensibility. You, you, you're dealt the cards. It's about moving forward, doing the best you can. Uh, do you at all feel like annoyed by the climate that you've been forced to be a little bit more political or that you've even been forced to think about these issues or like, do you find, Hey, this is fun content. And I feel like I'm fighting a good fight here. Or do you find, man, I, like, cause sometimes I think that I I've made a lot of just dumb, stupid dick jokes. And sometimes I think like, is all of this reading and seriousness pulling me away from this other thing that I really loved. And it doesn't matter because that's the life I live. Um, and you know, I could choose to not talk politics. Like it's a choice. So I'm curious if you also feel a little bit like you've gotten sucked into this thing that you would just as happily, you know, have not really even looked into. Like, yes and no. And I do have to watch myself because like, okay, I'll answer the first part. Like, I don't feel like it's a thing I've been sucked into. Like, I, I don't know if this sounds like re too religious or something, but it honestly, to me, it feels like something that I've been called to do, like fighting for free speech and fighting for comedians and other 
uh, performers. Like it's, I feel like once I clicked in with this purpose, like it's been amazing. The people that I've been able to like meet or connect with online, like Gina Carano, like follows me on Twitter. And like the day I realized that I was like, Oh my God, Gina, I'm such a huge fan. Like, please do my podcast. And like, you know, she's like not really doing podcasts right now, but like we were chatting and, and like, I was like blown away. I'm like, I'm such a fan of this woman. And we're kind of both fighting this fight of like not apologizing for our political views and not being um, like tempted by the woke mob to change who we are. Um, And I just was like, you know, I've been able to like interview like Ann Coulter and Roger Stone and like Mike Cernovich and freaking Gavin McGinnis. Like it's, it's been like an honor for me to kind of like talk to these like censored canceled people or people that are hated by like large swaths of the public or something like, um, and I, and I feel like if I can use my sense of humor to like further this cause or like deliver this message in a way that's maybe like easier to swallow because like nobody wants to be told they're wrong. Nobody wants to be like, yelled down and, and be like, Oh, you need to switch teams. Like you're wrong. Like you're cause pe- everyone's at different stages of um, like their awakening. And, and there's lots of people who are brainwashed and like, guess what? Those people don't want to be told that they're brainwashed because like nobody wants to hear that. So I feel like called to fight for this purpose, but like use my sense of humor, use my personality to kind of like, almost like lube it through. <laughs> I didn't mean for that to sound sexual. Um, so yeah, I take, I don't feel like uh, this is like a heavy burden. I feel like I'm happy to fight for this. And um, and then I also have to check in with myself and be like, all right, I do have to make sure I'm making time to like be silly and just be funny. Like today I like rattled off like three very lame <laughs> tweets about Screech's death. You know, I was like, you know what, let me just, and I will take the time to read them because they are just so lame and you're probably gonna, uh, this is like something, these are dad jokes, but I just was having this feeling of like, you know, I haven't just posted like silly jokes in a while. Like sometimes I get wrapped up in like, ah, promoting my stuff or dates or whatever. So I was like, I need to make some Screech jokes. Here we go. Screech tweets. Uh, when I found out that Dustin diamond died, I was screechless. There you go. That was good. The best so far. Here's the other one. Dustin Diamond's comedy career has come to a screeching halt. (laughs) All right. And uh, last but not least, after Screech died, I realized all we are is Dustin the wind. (laughs) There you go. All good roast style jokes. Those are are three bangers for Twitter. And then I was like, whew, I'm pooped. What a day. (laughs) Let's call it out. (laughs) So I think uh, similar to you, I find... uh, some people have a passion for, for searching truth. I know it's almost, uh, it's almost, I, 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 maybe this is also turning it sexual, but I feel like sometimes I read something that offers a perspective I never did. And it's a thrill. It's like having an orgasm in your brain where you do feel like your consciousness has been expanded. There's new information that you never had. There's nothing I love more than reading an argument that changes my mind. Um, I, I wish I had more of that years ago. George Reisman, he's one of the big, uh, he's one of the big libertarian thinkers that I read his works years ago. And he had an essay on gun control. I thought I, I'm like a New York uh, liberal Democrat. I thought gun control makes sense. Right. His article, oh yeah, me too. Like, I was like, who wants a gun? Right. Like- and my mind just changed on the spot. Read an article from him, global warming mind changed on the spot. Uh, and 
so I find like, that's one of the things that does drive me here is I do my research and I try and find truth. And I, I like, I kind of just in my, I have a natural kind of bullshit detector. And usually I find if an idea is truthful, my guide is that I just kind of get excited about it and I want to research it some more. Uh, I'm curious on your end. So as you've kind of go down this libertarian journey or even down more of this uh, skeptic rabbit hole, what, what's some of like the reading that you're doing or what are some of the things you've come across that have really changed your mind on? you know, big topics. It's a combination of like, uh, 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 like there's a definitely a spark of new subjects that I'm into, which is like right now it's like different species of aliens, which is like, so not a thing I, I even thought existed or, or like be just never thought I'd be like actively seeking out books about like aliens. Yeah. The aliens and like metaphysical shit and like the idea of different dimensions. I think that's like very cool. Like right now I'm into more so like you've jumped past libertarian to Alex Jones, which I, I like it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it was like, it was nuts. I'm like marching like 20 feet away from the guy back in December on one of my uh, three trips to DC recently. Um, so now I'm like listening to like, David Wilcox and like the idea about like programming your subconscious mind. I think that stuff is because I've always been like, I think I came into it by way of maybe self-help because it's like, I read the secret. I would read like, you know, maybe more self-helpy books like Gabrielle Bernstein or like Eckhart Tolle. So, cause I've always been aware of like that kooky, <laughs> all that kooky shit, you know? And I think, um, I think that's kind of being applied to like, maybe more of the conspiracy stuff. Like, okay, if there are legit people who believe in Satan and they're it's, and that's what they're, they're manifesting like evil shit to happening. I think it was also maybe more learning about like the child sex trafficking problem in this country was like, ugh, and then everything that has to be in place for that to thrive. So it's like, it gets you a combination of like angry, upset. And then you're like, all right, well, I have to be a force of good then to, to kind of help fight this and help like rival this. Um, but as far as, am I even answering your question of like, no, what no, have I become more interested in? No, you're, you're dropping a lot of information on me and you're, you're uh, opening up a lot of doors for questions that I have. So I'll hop in there. I have very different sensibilities than you. I'm a little bit more, uh, autistically financially interested. And so I get more just concerned about debt and money. And I don't really go into the uh, more spiritual topics that people start to explore of what you're kind of saying, hey, I got to bring good into this world because there's other people worshiping uh, demons. And so I don't really, I haven't really flown in that way. Uh, so let me ask some questions, which is let's start with um, the child sex trafficking. So I know that like, it, it's interesting because Years ago, you know, you heard these talks of Epstein. And then when it came up a year ago, you're like, well, I've heard about this forever. And then he goes down. And then you hear Al talking about child, like all of this shit. And then all of a sudden you start hearing Epstein and it's pretty, I mean, they fucking took a, I, I, this is not new information to you, but they took a safe out of his house. The FBI has it. I don't know what they did with that safe. They arrested this guy years ago. They, you know, they let him off. And then essentially they had to rearrest him when they lost the court case. I think Cernovich was involved with that, the freedom of information. And then they lost the court case to keep that under wraps. Why? And they're like, all right, yeah, he's bad. We're going to pull him back in. And so it does become apparent. Yeah, there is some sort of a relationship between government and child sex trafficking. Now, maybe it's just that they're using this guy Epstein, uh, you know, 
infrequently. It's not a gigantic movement. You know, it's size, it's scope and scale. Maybe Epstein's the beginning and end of that, that they get these foreign officials having sex with 12 year olds. They get it on tape and boom, now they've got them in the back pocket. Or maybe that's just the slice of the pie that we've discovered. And it's more rampant than that. And Bohemian grows a real thing. And they're really worshiping uh, the Moloch out of the, uh, you know, out of the old scriptures, which they, I think they used to burn babies and to Moloch. Uh, so I'll let you take it from there. No, from what God, you've I, seen, I'm how not, deep how deep do you go in terms of saying, "Hey, I really think you know, like what what exactly you know?" If, if we held you to the lie detector, w- how deep do you think the child uh, pedophilia uh, thing goes? Like, what do you really think is the real God. picture there? Um, yeah, I just feel like there's so much they're not telling us, and I don't even feel like an expert. It's like, but what I have heard is like, so there was an episode you know, Epstein Island was like, you know, in the Virgin Islands or whatever. And supposedly there are many, many of these islands all over the world. They're just like whoever their their front guy is, like hasn't hasn't uh taken the fall yet. So I think it's like a world a worldwide problem. I think there's something about these folks, like they believe if they there's something about like the purity of a child or sacrificing a baby. It's like something about like uh taking their soul it's it's evil shit it's like and i and i really can't articulate it because do you think they actually approach it from some sort of different spiritual belief that there's some sort of an entity or something else that they're actually uh worshiping and this is part of their ritual and so they believe that they are uh maybe not necessarily let's not say doing good in any capacity but there is some sort of a alternate god in which they are worshiping and gaining power and so, like, they're really okay. So let, let's just go with that. What, like, where, where is this underground religion? Like, what's the origin of this thing? How did it stay alive? Like, in other words, like, I, you know, I grew up uh, very religious uh, Jewish. I guess you can somewhat trace that, or tr- you know, trace that back to the destruction of the Second Temple, uh, the creation of the Talmud, rabbinic Judaism, and there's a pretty straight kind of line. Uh, where was this, I guess, child pedophilia practice? Cause I know it's written up in the Bible with the, with the Moloch God, but then where did it, so it goes underground from there. It ends up in the church. Like, what do you think is the kind of history of that, that it still is prolific today? And it would almost seem to suggest that it works if all the world leaders, the people with power are kind of doing right? it. Maybe we, you know, we got to start killing some babies. I guess. I mean, <laughs> maybe I guess, it works. <laughs> I guess sacrifices have kind of like always been a part of like if you go back to like ancient times like i don't i don't know if even the egyptians but like i I think it's been like uh it's not a new thing right and if you have a group of people that like instead of i i feel like if they're not operating in terms of like karma which is like i feel like like good people are like okay if i if i put out good into the world good will come back to me and it's like if these folks are like no if i just make sacrifices to like this god or this entity or this energy well then then like i will get money or opportunities or and it's like and that is something i kind of do want to learn more about um i've done a couple of podcasts with jay dyer who specializes in uh the the occult in hollywood he sent me a couple of books that i have to read it's like they're i think they're called like esoteric hollywood like one and two and um and but these are people i find like so fascinating to talk to and then they they're very good at like putting together like the themes like in hollywood like um god what was it there was like a was it Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas where they had like the adrenochrome like in the movie 
And um, God, there was even a show, I forget the name of it, but there were like these kind of witches and they would like steal kids. They would like snatch these kids out. Like there was this kid walking home from baseball practice and they're like, get in the van. They take him, and then they put like a trance over him. And then they like, like suck out his soul. You know what I mean? And it's, and talking to people like Jay Dyer, you're like, okay, this stuff doesn't come out of nowhere. Like some of these practices are real and they kind of inspire what we see like in movies and TV. And there's something, I guess there's something about the religion that they kind of have to tell you what they're doing and you have to um, like accept in a way you have to like give consent. Um, which I guess like if that goes into like politics, right? Like you can point out the examples or like, Oh, well they're, they've told us what they're doing. I don't know. There's so many like experts on, I feel like I'm barely scratching the surface on well, all this stuff. You're new to, uh, to yeah. researching demon realms. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You're like, you're a white belt in terms of, you know, what exactly are the child pedophiles doing? Who are they worshiping? <laughs> How are they bringing this dark energy into the world? And so you're interested, but not claiming to be an expert in exactly how demon realms work. And really, who is an expert in that? Who can really certifiably say, I understand the realms of these demons? And it's like, even on a smaller level, if we like, we look at the people that are in, char that are in charge of governing us, it's like, it doesn't seem that they like care about our best interests. It seems very much just looking at the last year alone, they're very intent on shutting down our businesses, uh, making us unhappy, keeping us out of the sun, keeping us from one another, um, you know, making us providing all the circumstances for which we become depressed, alcoholics, suicidal. Um, it does not seem from the way things have been handled in the last year that like the people in charge actually care about what's best for us. So I, you know, it's, it's funny. There's, there's certainly a leap. There's a leap from, Hey, they don't seem invested in our best interest to, I think that there's some sort of a power to misery and that they actually want to proliferate misery because they're somehow being powered by it. So I would sooner just look to kind of uh, power and finances and go, hey, you know, they're looking to stay in charge. They like the money that comes with it. They like the power. And, you know, even with that, sometimes it's hard to go or would they go as evil as pretending like we need to shut down or would they go as evil as there is there is a virus? And is that because they just want to bottom out the economy on Trump? Uh, but you go deeper than I do where you look at it and you go, I actually think that these people seem to be incentivized by a higher cause that is so evil and looking for human misery. I believe that there's some sort of a demon behind this. And I, by the way, this is not I'm not I'm not I'm not poking fun. I'm laying out that it's an interesting <laughs> the way that you say it makes me sound so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> General gist of what you're looking at is going, I think what they're doing is so evil that there must be some sort of a alternate spiritual incentive from them that us, we do good because we think there's an afterlife and I'm bringing good. They are doing evil and it's not just, um, maybe you're, maybe it's almost like a poetic interpretation of that they're so evil that it's like they're worship, but you go further than that, where you actually think that there must be some sort of an alternate thing that they have a relationship with that the same way we look for good, they're actually looking to proliferate evil. Cause how could they do what they do to kids? If that weren't the case, you know, like they're fun um, to fuck, you know, yeah. no. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm really, oh, no. Kidding. <laughs> no, like you should be able to joke about anything, right? Comedians. Uh, <laughs> Cause like, I think it was this year I ended up getting like 
I don't know if it was partially banned or suspended from Twitter just because I was trying to take down accounts that were like posting child porn and it's like that really opened it up for me i'm like oh my god it is so difficult there should not be this many hoops to jump through just to get just to report accounts that are like that are posting child porn i was like wow it's like it's easier to get banned if you're a conservative than if you are literally posting like multiple photos is it that prolific um it's bad it's really bad i used to think like oh i mean i went like my whole life without seeing any of it. And then, and then I think I, I started, I uh, interviewed Eliza blue, who's working on the, um, the John Doe case, the one that just blew up kind of over Twitter because they were like, they didn't remove the, um, the child porn because it didn't like violate their policies or didn't violate their terms. Like the, there was an article in the New York post, like under a week ago about it. It's like this huge lawsuit, which is great. Cause it's like these social media companies, like just have no accountability kind of also the way that they're cracking down with Pornhub too. It used to be like there was zero verification process. Anybody could make a profile that wouldn't age verify you. And you, you can basically post like, um, you know, other people's content or like child porn. Right. It's just like, it's a whole, it's a whole like big icky problem. Um, where was I going with this? Yeah. So in talking to Eliza blue, I realized like, Oh wow. It's like, it's so pervasive on Twitter and um, you know, other like even even like something like snapchat which i didn't even realize because i'm not even using it anymore because i'm not 12 (laughs) but like that these apps is like where people can kind of like prey on kids you know like you wouldn't think like oh snapchat people are there to message it's like yeah and then i was talking to my friend like Brittany venti who's a big like gamer she's like yeah there's this game roblox and it's like kind of there's these ways to get in where like you know old creepy pedos can totally like message kids just through a video game. So just being aware of like these spaces where this, this stuff can happen and uh, they'll well, pretend to be that like kids as well. And then they'll try to get you to like trade photos. And then before you know it, like pff, it's on the internet. Now what, what you were saying, which is if there was an argument for internet, internet censorship, if there was a reason for Facebook or Twitter to engage in internet, there would be two things. One, you'd say we got to police child pedophilia, and two, we probably human human trafficking and terrorism. Those would be, and even now when they tell us like, hey, we we got to police this stuff, it's because oh, conservatives might lead to violence, or they're really they are uh, secretly, you know, they're, well they're trying to they just did in Canada. We'll get to this in a minute with the Proud Boys, but it's always a call to terrorism, ending violence, or the most extreme thing that they'll dangle is the child pedophilia. Uh, which is really odd because what you're saying is that you actively engage in the pursuit of trying to get these materials removed from Twitter and not and not only were you not able to do so, they seem interested in having it there. Mm-hmm. Well, like they profit from it somehow, like they make they make money off it. So it's like, oh, yeah, why else would they make it like the lowest priority, you know, if they're not benefiting somehow? I think it's something like, I mean, like hundreds of thousands of kids go missing every year and it just doesn't seem to be like much of a priority. And anytime you hear about like, um, like sex trafficking rings, like being unearthed and being arrested, it's like, it's the media just doesn't really like ignores it for the most part. You know, it should be like the biggest news. I think there was one like very recently, like just in, just like in, in Florida, the last I think couple days. Yeah. One, yeah. 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 It's like, they just don't talk about it. 
Um, all right. So I, I do want to talk about attending the protest, but before we do, I'm just going to be annoyed if I don't ask. You said that you're researching the different kinds of aliens. Uh, <laughs> so what can you tell me about like who's made contact with aliens that they've actually been able to log? Here are the different kinds of them. What are the differences between them? We don't have to go too deep down this rabbit hole, but what have you unearthed thus far in terms of... Okay. Not much, but... Uh, supposedly like we've oh god there's there's so many different schools of thought on this but like supposedly every president since eisenhower has communicated or met some kind of an alien like they would just appear in the oval office like the meetings go down like that um i think part of the reason why they shot jfk is he wanted to like talk about all the alien stuff and they're like nope i think also trump like might have gotten close so to i gotta add in in this claim that every president has had a conversation with an alien. And if JFK was shot because he wanted to reveal this, where are you coming across this information to go? Hey, I really <laughs> do think that these presidents are talking to aliens. Um, you know, I, that's a good question. Uh, my response is going to be just a lot of YouTube videos and like random articles and books and stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I should have had like all of my notes like out here. I didn't realize like that I was gonna have to. This I is don't know. Uh, it's this like is I mean, I mean, yeah. In a perfect mouth? world, yeah. in, a perfect, in a perfect world, I would have like all of my like sources cited, and I'd be like, okay, these are the books I've read on this page. It talks about this. Um, I'm just like really like summing it all up in like so a me, very like general way no honestly this run your mouth and i'm more curious in your point of view than saying something is right or wrong um but clearly like if i was just looking at a random youtube video and the youtube video is saying hey eisenhower and every president has had a conversation with aliens i go all right someone posted this on youtube you're a smart person you're watching these videos and for some reason you're going this sounds truthful so let's just talk to the theme what are you coming across in this category or what speaks to your logic that even without saying, Hey, there's this specific historian that's reported on it, or there's this specific piece of evidence. What about that narrative just strikes you as truthful that you, at least let's just say it's a fairy tale, but you go, I like this fairy tale. This is the fairy tale. I like <laughs> there's something you know, about it that clicks with you. I found like Bob Lazar pretty compelling. He, um, he was someone who worked on, uh, he was on Joe Rogan. Like I think, maybe a year, year and a half, maybe two years ago. And he worked on like, what was that crash site out in Arizona or something? It was out in the desert. I can't remember, but like he was basically like hired to like reverse engineer alien spacecraft. So I found that like pretty interesting. I think that was like, what was it during the seventies or something? I don't know. I just, he didn't strike me as like bullshitting or lying. And, uh, I know. I, I feel like we, I, I feel like there is amazing, t even just with Tesla alone, there's like incredible technology that's just not being shared with the public. And like, we could be so much further along than we are. So it's like, I believe that a lot of knowledge is being kept from the public, like aliens included, technology included. Um, so I think it's just like, once you're like willing to believe that like we're being lied to, about so much it's like yeah of course this too you know it's like you almost get um like cynical i guess in a way in other words you you kind of look at it all right I, i'm being lied to on everything so i can go to the alien space i can go to the demon <laughs> space it's all open the, the, our reality it's an open fabric because people are lying to us so 
I I'm okay with these stories, but just to go back to the presidential thing, cause I am curious. So based on what you've seen and read, what are these conversations between the aliens and the president? Is it a directive like, Hey, here's what you're going to do. Is it a, is it a, Hey, I, I need these resources. Like I need you guys hmm. to keep touching the kids. That's where we get our power from. <laughs> like when the aliens visit, what are they telling the president? <laughs> That's really funny. I mean, supposedly there's good and bad aliens. And I've heard people say like, God, I envy- I interviewed this one guy named Ryushin Malone. That is like, he is like, woo, he's a kooky. He's a spicy dude. Um, he was like uh, convinced that, um, that that okay so like uh american not americans are just like that our planet has has is like working with the aliens and we've worked out some kind of a deal where like we're letting the bad aliens kind of like basically hunt humans and like he has these pictures of like you know like eyes missing and half a jaw eaten and and he he claims that this is because like aliens are like harvesting our organs and like hunting us down, like real scary shit. Like his whole website, his like Instagram, it's like be prepared to like be up till three in the morning, like watching this, watching these videos horrified. Like I was, I was like, Oh shit, they're hunting us. And he was like, uh, claiming that the Holocaust was just like a big, um, human sacrifice to the bad aliens. I was like, Oh man. Like I always like to think like, what if, you know, like it's good to keep a super open mind. I mean, like in other words, world leaders, right. <laughs> They've got to kill and slaughter people to keep the alien overlords happy to like, and an Hitler sat down. Yeah, yeah. And Hitler sat down and he's like, dude, I can be so much more efficient with this. There's these Jews. People don't really like them. I get rid of these fuckers a mess. Are you kidding me? But if all that's true, then I would think Hitler would have ended up with the best technology. The alien overlords, or maybe the alien overlords, they don't like Jew sacrifices. They like everybody else. And Hitler went after the wrong group of people. You know, he needed Christian, he needed Christian babies. And he he, he slaughtered the wrong group of people. (laughs) It's crazy. It's wild. Like, yeah. So there's that dude. Um, There's the Pleiadians, which are like more like blue eyes, blonde hair. I think it's cool. The idea that like there are aliens that look very similar to humans and they might be like among us. I mean, that's kind of a neat idea. Then there's like the Anunnaki, which may or may not have like helped to build the, not build the pyramids, but like in the, when you see like ancient, like hieroglyphics and they have like, you know, the drawings of like the people with like the big heads that that's actually these alien forms. Um, yeah, so it's nuts. I've heard from people that there's like so many species of alien. There's like different animal, like almost almost an alien species for every animal. Like there's a cat type. There's, I'm like, are these Pokemon? Like <laughs> this is crazy. I guess once there's alien and uh, aliens, and the idea of aliens would be it's an infinite universe. I uh, I mean, once there's one group of aliens, like what are the odds that there's really just one? So that that's not unreasonable okay so to get back into the uh landscape of more normal talk uh, (laughs) if you're still listening (laughs) (laughs) i do know uh so you attended a couple of the or maybe all the protests uh but can you tell me a little bit about why you're like i want to attend these protests and what the experience was like 
Yeah, I wanted to attend them because, like, I was a bit miffed about how the election went. I felt like there was some shenanigans going on. But I also really wanted to go to them to see for myself because I knew the mainstream media wasn't reporting them accurately. They would do, like, you know, an early morning flyover and be like, look, there's nobody here. Um, But then I'd see, like, my friends who were there and I'd be like, oh, well, there's tons of people there. Like, I think it was for me, it was starting to see, like, uh, just how much support there was for Trump in California. I was like, damn. I was like, oh, this country is like, things are being shaken up here. So I went in November. I think that was the Million MAGA March. And then I went in December. I forget the like sort of title of that one. And then January I figured it would be the same. I figure it's going to be underreported. It's going to be like the, the mainstream media is going to be like, oh, this is a non-event. And then uh, like the shenanigans of the Capitol happened. And I was like, oh, perfect. They can demonize the right, you know? And uh, it's just like, it's almost like they're trying to make you crazy. Like all summer long, we see the left, we see like our, our leaders on the left being like, yeah, you got to be violent, you know, make, get crazy in the streets. Like, you know, shake down anybody who you don't, just you, how you don't agree with and, and burning down a cop station. And it's like, oh, and then you have a, a couple of kooky dudes walking into the Capitol taking pictures on a desk and that's supposedly you know just as bad if not worse and these people are getting like reported on no fly lists and interviewed by the fbi it's like it's fucking crazy it's like not even close to the destruction we saw over the summer um so i think so to like dial it back i started going because i wanted to like see what was see 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 it for myself like hey let's go to a trump rally like i was curious about like the maga crew um, and I wanted to do interviews and I wanted to do live streams. And I found like, I really liked interviewing like the kooky characters. Like I talk about this guy Prometheus, but he's just like hilarious. Like he's very pro foreskin. And I saw him at the first two protests and he just like, he literally like almost emerges from a bush. Like same time he comes out, like as the events are kind of settling down and people are he leaving. He lives he, in that bush. He's just waiting sw- for... He must live in the bush. And he's, you know, dirty. His hands are covered in either marker or blood. I couldn't tell. And he's got, like, his signs, you know, like, he needs to sue your parents if they circumcise you. Uh, he, he has these stats about how many serial killers are circumcised. He's He's got a lot of tips. He'll you know, If you talk to him for long enough, he's like, you gotta put your taint in the sun. You know, you gotta get fresh air and <laughs> you get off your phone. Like, he does sound like just everybody's parent or grandparent. Um, but he's like, you need your foreskin. It keeps your dick warm in the winter. And he's like, he's gotta be in his 70s this guy. So those are the people I like to meet and talk to. I like seeing the cool costumes. There was a guy in a skeleton costume that was like, I voted for Biden nine times. I was like, that's funny to me. I like, I enjoy that. I like the signs. And then you, you it's more the, the porn star, not to call the porn stars a freak show, but you like the, uh, the chaos and the interesting characters. Yeah. And, and then there's very passionate people like Chinese people that live in this country now that come out to these events and they're very passionate about telling people about the CCP and they're like, and then you have folks that are either from, you know, like Cuba or Venezuela or their parents are, and they're, they know what socialism or communism is like. And they're just like, Whoa, we, you know, we, I did not come to this country for us to go down the same path. The Venezuela, the Venezuela story is so recent. Uh, If we had any education in this country, 
uh, we would really that would be a story that would be being told quite frequently because well i mean when did venezuela we were talking 20 years ago that this thing turned on them and now the stores don't have resources their currencies worth bupkis like yeah. it, you know what i mean it's a pretty recent story yeah i know our education system is a little it's a little fucked up <laughs> it's like i was just reading this tweet today i'm like yeah like somebody was saying like they teach you chemistry and like shit you don't need but they don't teach you about like money and just like regular ass investing and saving and like real life skills it's like no wonder so many of us are like Durr, when we graduate college so when you were 20 feet from alex jones could you feel his presence <laughs> yes oh he's a force like he's and he rolls deep he's got such a posse with him he's got bodyguards he's got fans he's got like uh just journalists who follow him but it's like he's very passionate like he he really has a a real command of people and he has like a real power you know he's a real like boots on the ground like getting i'm getting involved like get your hands dirty roll up your sleeves kind of guy so it's like, I give him credit. Like, I feel like he's very, and I feel like a lot of, uh, you know, what he, I mean, I'm so new even to the Alex Jones world, you know, things that he's been talking about for years are like all coming true. And he's been right about a lot of stuff. So yeah, he's definitely like a threat to the establishment. All right. And so let's talk to comedy for a minute. Uh, you're on the road, you're starting to headline a whole bunch and, uh, are you having fun, like starting to play for your own crowd kind of thing? Is it, or are people coming out because they know you from the podcast? Yeah, I'm just now starting to do more dates. Uh, I'm going to be at Hyenas in Dallas very soon, um, February 19th and 20th. And then Comedians of the Compound in Royersford, Pennsylvania on the 26th. And then I'm headlining the Stress Factory in New Brunswick on the 28th. And then I got a couple dates in Florida for like late, late April, early May, Wisconsin, Oklahoma City, Austin, Nashville, Huntsville, Alabama, I think Tampa, I think Cleveland. You're doing it all. So the I'm COVID like, tour. You don't really, give a shit. I'm really, I think I might call it the super spreader tour. I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> I like, I'm going to just take advantage of like <laughs> limited capacity. I can fill it, you know, <laughs> like we're only letting 10 people in. I Give it to me. I'll sell it out. So I think I just, you know, as I like, I was hearing a lot of people being like, I'm going to wait till it gets normal. I'm going to wait till it gets normal. And I'm just like, oh, fuck it. Like, I'm not going to wait for things to get normal. I'm not going to let that determine my life and my goals. Like, I think it's up to us to like, kind of make it go back to normal ourselves in a way. Like, I'm just done wearing a mask in places. Like, I, I think I'm, my default is now just I'm not going to go in with a mask and I'm just going to, like, see what happens. Whereas before I would be, like, scared and I'd be like, but I have to get my latte, you know. So now I know that Dunkin' Donuts doesn't give a fuck. I love Dunkin' Donuts. Like, you could just go in. They don't care. It's like. I'm more of a dumbass where if I'm already, like, I'm, I'm a little all or nothing. If I'm already out, I'm out. Right. So, like, if I go to a house, like, I'm not wearing a mask. I'm out. That's it. It's over. Uh, but good for you that you're, you're keeping at it. Um, I, I have to start lining up more shows. I did a better job over the summer of lining up my own shows. And then I worked on like an end of year project, which took a lot of work. And since then, uh, I really haven't done much, but I, I think you're doing it the right way. Trying to, yeah, I'm going to be doing a, a lot of these dates with Tim Young, who I, uh, met up with in DC actually on the sixth as well. So we're all, fellow domestic terrorists it's just like blows, <laughs> blows my mind how little it takes for you to like uh you know 
be kind of like put into a group. Right. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. It's like, I'm excited. I'm nervous. I'm scared, but it's like, I know I just want to like start getting out there again and, um, like let people know, like, it's okay to kind of start having fun again and come out. And, uh, oh yeah. Yeah. All right. Before I let you go, anything else uh, you want the Run Your Mouth fans to know about <laughs> aliens, child pedophilia, no demons, idea. or other I was, topics? I was not prepared to like delve into these topics. Yeah, I want to apologize. No, no, wanna, we like, got the shit that's people, really on your mind. Okay. If we people got, were weirded out, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, we got the theories on things that we never hear about. And so okay. uh, you couldn't have been more interesting. But in all seriousness, before uh, I let you go, any anything else on your mind? Oh, in general, um, I want to get a six pack before like the quar is totally like the lockdown is totally over because I want to emerge like and then when I start seeing people I haven't seen in a year, I definitely don't want to look worse than the last time they saw me. So I feel like that's something I'm I thinking find about. For, for me, God bless you. I'm I'm nervous about uh, access to restrooms, so I actually don't really eat much when I'm out. And so if I'm out doing comedy, if anything, I'm dropping the LBs. If I'm home at night not doing stand-up, there's literally nothing to do but eat. And so this has not been I, – I've done okay because I'm a big exercise guy. I do, I do enough exercise to somewhat counteract. But you can what do you only like counteract to do? so many don't oh, – what, in terms of uh, yeah, working out? You, how do you like to work out? So I do um, – I basically – I do a lot. <laughs> but I ride my bike at least three or four times a week on Saturdays. I go down to the beach like I run – sprints i do a whole ass workout i'm in the pool a couple an days ass a week. workout yeah i got i got my uh saturdays just get my... a cucumber and some lube <laughs> it's my <laughs> it's my glute day i work on these glutes uh <laughs> and then i do a lot of pull-ups push-ups and i still just look chunky and i eat a lot so that i don't get a big ego or actually look good that's my strategy <laughs> wow good for you though you're like doing it you're really out there well, I lose my fucking mind if I don't exercise. So that's like the one tool I have yeah. for not being uh, completely insane, either neurotic or depressed. So I just I make sure to work out every day. Good for you. Good job. Yeah. Well, other than that, <laughs> there's uh, nothing, nothing that great going on. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, why don't you plug people can find you if they want to do uh, more alien research? Oh, God. <laughs> I, I probably should have brought that up until after I finished all my books instead of like, you know, <laughs> just starting a lot of them. Yeah. Follow me on all things Chrissy Mayer, C-H-R-I-S-S-I-E-M-A-Y-R. Uh, for tickets and tour details, go to my website, ChrissyMayer.com. Uh, check out my podcast, the Chrissy Mayer podcast on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, SoundCloud, Tuesday through Friday. Uh, I think we were like number four podcasts in South Korea or something at one point. So it's very exciting. <laughs> and, <Hell> yeah. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, the wet spot on combat media Mondays at seven thirty PM Eastern.